Because we like to keep our lights on, now a word from our sponsor. Founded in 2011 and headquartered in New York City, SongTrust maintains the most extensive accessible publishing network in the industry with a global network of direct society collections with 45 plus performance, mechanical, and digital societies globally covering 120 plus territories. SongTrust is owned and operated by Downtown Music Holdings. And now friends, I have a deal for you. Visit songtrust.com forward slash pubcast and take advantage of their 20% discount off the one-time registration just for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And now let's get on with our episode. Hey friends, welcome back. On this episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast, we are chatting with Sean Wilson, the CEO of Mazuka. We get to know his technology and how it is helping streamline collecting live performance money. Welcome back, listeners. On this episode of our Nashville AIMP Pubcast, we have Sean Wilson, the CEO of Mazuka. And man, I got to tell you, this is one of these... Uh, software solutions. It's one of those, uh, for me, I had one of those moments when I, Sean and I first met and I went, how did I not think of this? And how has this not been already done? So um, I'm super excited to have him with us today to explain how he has really helped. Uh, I don't know if we had a problem, but really smoothed out the uh, the, the the process of uh, sending in your set list, recording your live shows so that you can get paid quicker and and not just for the artists, I want to be clear here, uh, he's also got it set up so we as publishers can get our songs in a database and also find our our money that's living out there in the live venue. So, uh, and if anybody's ever tried to or done their registrations on the publishing side, it's kind of arduous and takes a lot of time. It's real time intensive, but I'm here to tell you this, uh, this particular app is uh, really a problem solver when it comes to that. So... Sean, welcome on to the episode, and why don't you go ahead and just uh, give people a little short bio on how you came into this whole situation and, and creating Mazuka. Sure. Well, thanks for the generous uh, intro. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, th- there's actually a very much a Nashville uh, component um, to the history of the company. So by way of background, um, I've been building uh, tech web-based businesses for quite a few years in a, in a bunch of different um, sectors, N- nothing previous in the music space whatsoever. Um, and I, I was, I was in Nashville back in 2016, um, 2015, even got to know a lot of the guys um, running what I think are the really great venues in the city uh, and guys that were doing programming for, including work that we did with lightning 100 and their road to Roop uh, um, series. And what they really wanted was a faster, easier way to vet out all the new talent uh, moving to the city. And I, I wasn't in love with the product because I just didn't think it solved a big enough problem and had fairly quickly identified that there were other people sort of doing it, maybe according to, to the folks that asked me to build it haphazardly. But we decided to move forward regardless because um, I just liked this group of people and figured I could continue to ask them, you know, as I always like to refer to it, a lot of dumb questions. And we could eventually evolve the product into something a little bit more meaningful. And then uh, what happened was it actually grew outside of Nashville. And uh, the product ended up getting used by a bunch of different festivals around the country, including uh, folks at C3 used the app for uh, uh, Lollapalooza in Chicago. And we subsequently got a call from someone on their team and was like, hey, this heading model thing is kind of cool, but a really big pain point for us is actually getting approval on all the assets that we're allowed to use when we announce a lineup. 
So, so far, this doesn't sound anything like setlist reporting and how to get paid when you play live. Just bear with me because this first part of our business solves a really big problem, and it's actually how we connect everybody inside of our system. So we decided to focus on that. And so today we have about 2.1 million artists around the world using our system to control the official image that they want, um, bio, video, um, and social links. And so we push that out to the Grammys. We push that out to companies like Grace Notes. So there's you know 200 million cars now with the image that you see on the radio when, when a band's being played that comes from our database, power data into Samsung and LG televisions a ton of ticketing companies, um, and the list kind of goes on. So that's one side of our business. And so what I realized was in working with ticketing companies and us being able to onboard all of these artists and their managers into our system. And so what we realized is as we've onboarded all of these artists, and we've pushed out this hugely valuable data to our ticketing partners and festival application companies, like uh, I'll do a, a little name drop for a good friend over at Alumpa, Drew Bertschild. We push all this content to them, and then what we subsequently get back is all of the confirmed live show data. And then we're able to pair the IDs that live inside of, let's say, a Ticketmaster or an Eventbrite or an Access, and we pair that to the IDs that are sitting inside of our system. The band, the management, they don't have to worry about proving they've played a show. Uh, and if you've done this before, that's one of the more arduous parts of the process. Subsequently, on the side of the performing red organizations, is they over time begin to completely trust our data. Because we're pulling it every 24 hours, if shows get canceled last minute, those, those live shows remove themselves from our system. And so we don't ping the artist and management the next day to say, hey, we know you played a show last night at Mercy Lounge or at Bridgestone Arena or whatever. Um, we either ping them because we know the show's happened or we don't and because it's been removed from our system. So it's really about authentication. You can't fake anything inside of our system and the PROs begin to trust. And so what happens is we ping artists and management and all they have to do is go inside of the system and just tell us what songs that they've played. And then that information just lives there. And so another thing about our system is you can even simplify it further. If you're playing basically the same 15 songs every night, you can pre-build the tour, you can click on a button called use last set list. So instead of it taking 20 to 30 minutes to prove that you've played a show and enter all this information, and in some cases, depending on the PRO, you'd have to show a ticket stub, you could be getting a notification via email, text, or we have a Facebook Messenger bot that we've built. And you could just click on use last set list. That's the only thing you've done to interact with Mazuka. And now all of that data has basically been sent off uh, to your PRO. And that's kind of how it works. And Well, I, I, will, I will back up and just say, again, like, for, for those that don't understand this process, I think most of us understand that we get paid for live performances for sure. And I think that's kind of a given. And a lot of us, as I've always said, in the and why even uh, this is an association of independent music publishers, why we're talking about live shows is we get money from that. And then we're also in the artist development world. And, and you and I have talked about, I have a, a label component to my publishing company and I have a lot of those artists we have 360 deals with that are out touring, but it's very hard, as you said, to authenticate all the shows. So why why I thought this was so brilliant when you and I first talked was you, there's just one place to go. We, the, we as a music business tend to have this one big issue is where do you go to authenticate or find the information on whether it's a song, like who wrote all the songs? And that's what the, the, 
Music Modernization Act is going to help do with the MLC board. And, and you have done this for the live performing side of creating a database that's just a one stop to find all these things. Not only do you have a place where the uh, assets are controlled for artists, um, that's not really a publishing thing, but how great it is so that you know that your stuff is, the, the approved images are out there. You can push that out. But going back to the live thing is this. Again, you kind of touched on it. It is a process to enter all this stuff in on the PRO websites. If you're an indie artist or a small publishing company, I have done it. It took me hours to load in just one tour to make sure I got paid. Right. And again, I think it's so great to to explain. Explain to me, like, um, let's take this to the publishing angle, as you mentioned. Like, Maybe you can touch on what that looks like for me as a publisher. If I come to you, how does this work for me? Yeah, um, so th this is another example, at least as it relates to the history of Mizuka, where uh, a great idea wasn't actually ours, it was someone else. This was an executive at a ma major publisher, saw the system, and he was like, look, it, th these two parts of your business are huge, I love it. I have another thing for you that you guys could just use the data that you have, we could participate, and this could be of huge value for publishers. So what that is, as you said, we've been onboarding um, catalog, uh, from publishers now. We're probably uh, north of about 20. And basically what the dashboard does, so we upload the, the, the catalog data, and for those that are familiar, and I'm guessing with, a, with a, a podcast like this, they are, with CWR files. There's also a Music Maestro. So we've been onboarding with those two different formats. We may have had a third to date, I can't recall. But there's a hugely valuable field uh, inside of CWR, um, despite the fact that some people will look at the way that file formatting system is and say that it's very cumbersome, there's actually a lot of really valuable data. One of them that's incredibly valuable is played by. So you could be representing a songwriter that is not touring, uh, obviously a fairly common thing in Nashville. And the played by field is the most important part because what we're able to do is we take those played by fields and then we correlate them to those people that have IDs inside of all of the ticketing companies that we work with. And so that then all gets pared down to the Mazuka ID. And so what a publisher sees, and, and if anyone that's listening, uh, you know, wants a demo, you know, please feel free to reach out to us and we can walk you through this um, visually. But you, you, you basically upload, you give us the CWR catalog um, or, or Music Maestro. And then what we do is we give you a dashboard and it'll show you all the performers, whether it's a, a, someone that you represent or it's someone that is playing your music. And then in each individual concert, you, you can go down and basically say, okay, so um, my songwriter played at Bridgestone Arena. Here's all the information about the event, about the promoter, and then subsequently the set list, assuming it's either been submitted or we've even been able to grab some crowdsourced information. And so that's basically what that dashboard looks like. It's almost not a third product. It's an extension of what we do in, in set list reporting. So it does a lot of great things. The data is incredibly powerful. Our live events data set is probably one of the bigger, biggest in the world. And what you're able to do is see a huge amount of information. And so now what we're getting is great feedback from folks like yourself, Tim, and saying, hey, these are the different features I would like. I want the ability to sort by artist, geographical location, um, where you can, as a publisher, submit a set list. So you could have someone on your team being able to go in on a tour and you know that the band's playing more or less the same 15 songs every night, be able to do things like blanket set list submissions on behalf of your songwriter. Um, so publishers have been sort of throwing those ideas around. So what we're probably gonna do is in April, we'll accumulate all of those, um, all of this great feedback. 
and then we'll start building in um, you know some of those features. And that's more or less how that product works and sort of the value um, that it delivers. Now, I like to do this with mine because you are uh, one of the smarter. Uh, I've been on panels with you. You're, you're one of the smart guys. So I need to help dumbing some of this down for uh, the regular Joes yep. like myself because that was a whole lot. You're throwing out a lot of information yep. really quick. And so we're going to dissect. First, let's start with one thing. Like you keep talking about set list reporting. Um, I kind of understand that process, but explain to me wh- why is that valuable to me? Why do I explain when you keep talking about that? What does that mean? So the importance around, of course, submitting the set list is the, the copyright, the dollars that end up getting distributed that are collected, um, you know, by the performing right organizations in either a, a blanket license or uh, a, a, a ticketed event where it's a percentage of gross uh, ticket sales. The dollars then get redistributed back to the publishers um, and in this case to the songwriters, which, as you, uh, as you just said, can, can also obviously be the, the touring artist. And we use, we use those IDs, we use the content that lives inside of the data that we receive from the PROs and from the publishers, in specific inside of those CWR files or the ISWC codes, and that's kind of how we match things up um, between the PROs and the publishers. And that's the trigger point in terms of how those dollars end up getting distributed. And to point out again, in, in, in dumb language for me, all these IRCs and the CRWs and everything he's talking about is these song identifiers that are in the systems that are already at work at PROs. And, and so this is streamlining, making sure your song is correctly identified and tied into the right thing, which is an amazing, you know, as we're moving into the tech world and our systems are getting better, we're getting paid for our songs and uh, more specifically being able to make sure we're getting the correct amount with the right song. And that, that's, I can help uh, uh, chip away at some of that tech talk. That's what that means for us as, as publishers and writers. And, and I can take this even on a, probably a smaller level because um, I work with a lot of independent artists and I, they too can get paid for, it doesn't, doesn't have to be a Bridgestone. It can be smaller venues and you can have a very successful touring career and you yourself would have to have you know, logged all this stuff in, send in your set list and fill out all this stuff. And if you're a small touring indie act, not even small, if you're a touring act, a regular touring act, making a good income, this live money can be very good money at the end of the year, thousands and thousands of dollars for you. And this system that with Mazooka is really allows you to streamline that. So like uh, uh, Sean was saying, you can just hit a button when you're leaving the venue, submit your set list, you can be driving down the road and, well, I don't know how quick the payment backs yet, but, you know, you've already done it. Your money's already in process of being collected from the day you did it, as opposed to having a, a long process of probably sitting down and trying to do it. And I think most people, honestly, don't even do it and register their songs so they don't think the money's, this is enough money worth their time. Yeah, you, if you've written a song, that's copyright. You have to register it. It doesn't take very long to do that. And now you have, you know, tools and, and data sets where if you're even getting you know, a nominal amount of streams that are happening, there's still money that's sitting there. And Tim, you're absolutely right about the live side of things. Um, you're, you're paying venues around the country, uh, you know, smaller venues, two, three, 400 cap. There's very meaningful money that sits on the table. And if you play internationally too, this is where you can still submit those set lists. And one of the cool things in terms of our long-term strategy is the more 
people that are more PROs that are inside of the ecosystem. It means we can share data with them in a, in a much better way. Um, one of the examples that we actually got um, was uh, someone at UMG saying, hey, you know, we represent Coldplay. And when Coldplay plays Madison Square Garden, we actually need to know that the report goes to five different performing red organizations because j- just on behalf of them. So it needs to go to PRS because uh, I believe all four members of the band are still PRS members. There's a Canadian that they've co-written some songs with, so it needs to go to SOCAN. And then, of course, because it happens on U.S. soil, that report needs to go to ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC because they're ultimately collecting the, the dollars um, you know, from, from the promoter. And so to go back to a smaller act, not a Coldplay size, if you're playing in Canada, for example, a lot of people don't know this, is that if you have a show that you play in Canada, they've arbitrarily picked this number. It's six bucks Canadian. If the, if the ticket is more than $6, they have a general license component that will pay out $75. So you go and play a show, there's a $6 ticket, you're the headliner. Um, they, they will split it if there's an opening act, and I believe it's as simple as 50, 25, so the headliner would get 50 bucks. But yeah, there's, there's meaningful money there. If you're touring across Canada, you could be playing 10, 15, or 20 of these shows. Um, and it, it may not be gas money in certain parts of the country, um, but it'll certainly help. So there is real money sitting there. And because now it doesn't take you 20 to 30 minutes to fill out all of that content, you can just come into our system, click on the songs that you played, or, or click on Use Last Set List, hit Submit, um, and you're basically done. I'm assuming, again, you're getting songwriter information, you're getting artist information, touring information, publisher and PRO information. As you're collecting this, and we know that there's value to it, do you see this growing in different ways other than just live performance money? Is there other ways this data can be used to help us in the long term? I know that's a pretty broad, big question to swing at, but being a data guy, I figured I'd ask you. There you go. No, I think, I think it's a good one. I mean, okay, so sticking purely with, um, you know, with publishing and, you know, even sort of the label end of things. Um, yeah, we, we have, we have today, uh, really the only artist controlled, um, asset database that we're aware of. And it's, it's fairly large. As I said, it's north of 2 million. Um, we have a very huge live data set that we aggregate from all of our incredible, um, downstream ticketing partners including the festival application companies that I've mentioned. So at scale, we have a very large live data set. And then now, as you said, we're, um, we're onboarding uh, this catalog um, that comes from the publishers to deliver uh, another big value uh, proposition uh, for that part of the industry. And so some of the things that we've been asked about have pertained um, quite a bit around A&R and being able to use these huge data sets to get a sense of you know, who's playing, what are they playing? Um, we've had charting companies. You can sort of figure out which ones I'm probably referring to. Uh, DSPs that have been very interested in the set list information. Um, a, converting that into a metric that would uh, influence charts. Um, second uh, would be um, converting that data into actual playlists that would live inside of a, um, you know, a Spotify, um, an Apple Music, a Deezer, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of different things that we can do with this data over time. And for us, it's, uh, it's always been about being a good listener. You know, I, I have a lot of experience in data and in, and in building companies like this, but I had no previous experience, um, in the music industry and just very intentionally came in and said, 
I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't understand this place. I'm not going to pretend, you know, pretend to, I'm not going to come in with, I think it has happened before with this sort of ego, like, Oh, we have this Silicon Valley mindset. It's superior to yours. That's total nonsense. And I think that's voted really well for us because we've had a lot of great people that have wanted to sort of give us their time. And then they've offered up these very simple suggestions. And I just happen to be, uh, I guess crazy enough at times to, uh, to to jump on those that seem like they make sense. So, what's going to happen going forward? I think there are a bunch of other opportunities with this data set where we can provide a lot of value to the music industry, and in in return, as a company, capture some of that value that we end up delivering. And who knows, Tim? Maybe you're going to help me come up with the next great idea <laughs> with these data sets. <laughs> but as it relates to charts, charts and DSPs, and just general in- interest in what's actually being performed live at scale. Uh, th- there's quite a bit of interest. And, and in fact, other publishers have said this, this is something we'd like our A&R departments um, to be able to, to use, even if it's just with their own data. So just coming in and seeing what's happening with that catalog and being able to point out areas and ways where maybe additional time and deployment of capital could actually take someone that appears to be having a bit of a bump and kind of you know move them into the next uh, stratosphere, if you will. So. I see. Just talking to you, the the A and R component is brilliant. Anytime you can hedge a bet or get turned on to something quicker, or quicker might be the wrong phrase, but get turned on to some new music. We're all in the in the music business for discovery. I'm I'm a big fan of discovering things and to know and see something that might be bubbling under that's working in the live circuit is a great. Uh, touch point and metric to have to add into the other components, as you mentioned, uh, DSPs and and uh, and charts and other things. And I could see the, how that would work. There's a, I'm just not mentioning a name because I don't know if they wanted that broadcast, but there was a label that brought a lot of us in and showed us how they're using data uh, so that we understand what they're doing with our songs and how they're determining what's going to be a single and what's going to be on a record and the amount of data these guys are mining and pulling together is astounding because they're, you know, raking right. through all the social media stuff and all that. And to add something in as well on the live component that would be bring, a, as you just mentioned, a strong value to show what's working on the road, what's connecting with the people, ticket sales. And and I know I've, I've mentioned that to you. When you can start seeing the money, the grosses, and possibly even if they turn over merch information, we know that's not part of it currently but you know those kind of things you can are very important and to be able to streamline it in one place with one feature that helps you keep up with that is amazing so i i, I see a high value for the a and r side as well especially for me how are they doing on the road how many shows they're doing and who's coming is is extremely valuable yeah and i think this is you know for us getting out the uh, the publisher um, dashboard as we sort of internally reference it um before the holidays and then now really getting a lot of people to use it and, and sort of play with it and then just be really candid. Like this, this is, this works really well. We would love this feature. I hate this about it. And so honestly, you know, this will probably be another example where as we evolve even that A&R side, it'll be getting great feedback from folks like yourself and the rest of the Anthem team in terms of what you guys want. And then we can just, you know, build in those products because again, we still as much as now, this is going on quite a few years and, and me asking a lot of questions and doing a lot of reading. I still feel like every day in this industry, there's always something, you know, new to learn. And just to assume that you don't know how the industry does it. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this before, but whether it's the live space, it's, it's the, it, it's a label side, it's publishing. 
there are quirky elements to the way the music industry works. And that was something that was really apparent to me. So I, I always like to just assume we might have a good idea. Let's wait and hear four or five other people tell us that's a really great idea. And then we'll start to think about, you know, putting it together because what might seem very obvious to me is probably not going to be something that people in the industry necessarily want, you know, right at this time. So that's why we've taken our time to really hone in on sort of these two products, the asset management side, and then sort of the live setlist component, which now has sort of like a, a, a 2.5, if you will, component to it with this publisher piece, which again, I really look at it as all, um, you know, together, but we just don't want to dive into things with, without, guys like yourself with a whole lot more experience are going, yeah, no, this is, this is really valuable. This is how we could drive a lot more value out of this discover and then help promote, um, you know, artists that are either we want in our ecosystem or we're about to sign into our ecosystem. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AIMP Nashville podcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville keep up with news, events, panels, and even new episodes. The AIMP Nashville Pubcast is created by executive producers Dale Bobo and Tim Hunsey, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks for listening and supporting the AIMP Nashville Pubcast.